The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, The Return of the Archons. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends. That's the number one way we grow this audience and keep the episode, the, the podcast going. So your sharing it with others is a greatly appreciated and uh, the more folks that listen the more community we have the better the show is and i want to tell you about another show on the starquest network you are sure to enjoy called the secrets of movies and tv shows and you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets so as i mentioned today we are discussing the original series episode the return of the archons and jimmy can you give us a recap of what goes on in this episode This week, the Enterprise visits a planet to find out what happened to the starship Archon, which disappeared a hundred years ago. Sulu and another officer have beamed down to investigate, but when they beam Sulu back up, he's completely blissed out and talking strangely. So Kirk takes a much larger landing party down to investigate so that more people can be put in danger. They find a strangely calm, peaceful, 19th century-like society where everybody acts tranquil and blissed out. But then everything goes haywire as the people throw a one-night violent party called Festival. In the wake of this, the landing party discovers that the society is run by a mysterious figure called Landru, who mind-controls everybody and makes them blissed out all the time. A hundred years ago, Landru pulled the Archon out of the sky and started mind-controlling its crew members. Kirk and the gang also make contact with a small underground that resists Landru and that is waiting for more Archons, or people from the Federation, to return and overthrow Landru. When it comes time to do that, though, the members of the Underground lose their courage, but Spock and Kirk take matters into their own hands. They discover that Landru is really a 6,000-year-old computer that was programmed by the original Landru. And for the first time in Star Trek history, Kirk talks the computer to death, freeing the civilization. (laughs) The end. (laughs) <laughs> All right. And uh, Father Corey, your overall impression of this one? Well, I always get a kick when you see in Star Trek or Mission Impossible when you have the, the stock Desilu set, you know, and of course, in this yep. case, it's the stock Desilu set set up as Old West, including with Old West garb that obviously came out of the Desilu uh, wardrobes <laughs> department, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it's pretty clear that this was meant to be kind of a, a cost-saving episode because they could use sets that already existed, including the dungeon, including the the main street and stuff like that, uh, instead of having to go to a location. Um, it wasn't a bad episode. It was, it was okay. You know, it was, it was, you know, you got a little bit of the purge there with the festival and you got the mind control people and, and then the, some people who resist the mind control and, you know, have a rebellion and stuff like that. But like Jimmy said, then you have, you know, Kirk using his faulty Kirk logic to talk the computer to death to end. So it was an okay episode. <laughs> How about you, Jimmy? 
Well, uh, this episode can be viewed from more than one perspective. Uh, there's a second way of looking at it that once you see it, you cannot unsee it. So I'm going to partition that. I'm going to put that aside for now and just talk about viewing this episode as if it didn't have any other context. You know, not other Star Trek episodes where Kirk talks a computer to death and not other things. Just taking the episode on its own, I think it's enjoyable. It's got some interesting stuff. Um, it, it has quite a number of interesting concepts in it. In fact, this actually, Gene Roddenberry had the plot outline for this episode, and it was considered as one of the plots they might film for the pilot, which ended up being The Cage, which actually has some similar themes to this. Mm. But in any event, it's it's I think it's a good, interesting story. Uh, Roddenberry did not end up writing this, fortunately. Instead, <laughs> a another uh, veteran TV writer named Boris Sobelman took the plot outline and wrote the script. And I'm sure it is vastly better for that, because as Harlan Ellison explained, Gene Roddenberry can't write worth sour bird poop. <laughs> but the story itself is an interesting one. It's an interesting culture. They they. We have a lot of data that seems to not fit together initially, and they don't actually explain everything fully, like festival. They never really give us a full explanation of what that's about. But if you think about it, you can see what it's doing. It's effectively mm -hmm. uh, an outlet for, uh, for emotions that this society is otherwise not allowed to feel. And so every so often in James Blish's adaptation of this, they say it's once a year. They have this night where they purge all these emotions um, by having this violent party. And then the, once purged of those emotions, they can lead their normal, peaceful, tranquil, blissed out lives. Also, I have to say, if you're going to mind control people, you may as well make it enjoyable for them. So, you know, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would much prefer the blissed out. If uh, Any future mind controllers, I would much prefer the blissed out as opposed to the torturous mind mm -hmm. control so just just yep. be aware of that yeah you'll get further with uh with fewer rebels if you bliss everybody out yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i haven't seen this episode in a long time probably since i was you know much younger um and so didn't remember a lot i remember the arc the uh the lawgivers although for some reason in my head i thought they were called the archons um and so this was a lot new i did remember that the festival made a big impression on me as a kid uh the people adults freaking out and going wild was disturbing as a kid uh, so uh, that was interesting to see and then seeing it now uh different aspects of it jumped out at me and so we, we can get into that as we go uh but uh i also kind of picked out that this we've seen this set and we will see this set again in and future again. episodes this will be um <laughs> Organa in the future, I think. Uh, we'll. Th this was definitely. I think this was also used in Miri. This was the set for mm -hmm. uh, uh, the the fifties analog of Miri. So you have the, these sets to show up a lot again. This is this is the back lot of of Desilu. That's know, right. They, they could just walk out of their studio, you know, their studio building, and set up filming, you know, a couple of blocks away. You know, an original series Star Trek had no problem basically just having. Earth-like humans on other planets. Oh, you in know, parallel just, parallel worlds, so they're yeah. like copies of Earth yes. down to the continents. Right, right, and uh, you know, and it, it just you know the similar 
development, maybe later, maybe, you know, that sort of thing. And so it, they didn't explain it, have to explain it. They didn't worry about it. They just were telling a story. And it's something a little bit, a little bit refreshing about that. In our day, you know, like people get all freaked out over strange new worlds, discontinuity with the original series. How will we ever resolve this? And it's like, well, you know, uh, no, no shade on anyone. No shade on anyone. <laughs> but uh, I know we've had this discussion. For, for I'd, I'd, I'd love them to encounter a parallel earth down to the continents mm-hmm. in strange new worlds and say, yep. well, that's really weird. And <laughs> it's highly improbable, but I guess it, it's existence shows it can happen. Right. And just leave it as a mystery. Right. And we're, we're, we're very, I think as a 21st century, you know, the, the 2020s viewers, we tend to want things to fit more as fans. You know, we, we get very caught up in the details, um, but in this early stuff, it was less. And, and the idea a of a canon where you, you have this actual timeline canon is newer than TOS. I mean, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's been at Star Trek for most of, you know, most of its time. But it, it's it's newer than TOS that there's this strict canon that you have to follow. And that's something that kind of developed as Star Trek developed. Also, yeah. the levels of realism in sci-fi have changed dramatically. Um, you know, Babylon, not Babylon 5, uh, Battlestar Galactica, the remake, mm-hmm. is very realistic compared to Star Trek, the original series. And Star Trek, the original series was in the mid-1960s coming off the heels of the twilight zone mm-hmm. and that's that's why you have a lot of weird parallels and twilight zone like logic which was mm-hmm. the standard for tv series that were science fiction at the time yeah so i just you know i say all that to say i i enjoy it for for what it is i like this episode um it had some very interesting uh kirk moments and spock moments which i i liked and uh <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, for example, at the beginning of festival, as soon as it hits six o'clock, this yeah. woman runs up to Kirk and plants one on him. And for yeah. once, he resists. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, then then later you got him in the in the hotel and they're looking out. The, you got these shots of Kirk looking out the window at festival and scowling. And it's like he look, just looks so jealous of yeah. all the people out there in festival. <laughs> By the way, worst Airbnb ever. Uh, let's just put, yeah. like, throw it out there right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Like, you know, so we have the opening where uh, we have this cold open of Sulu and O'Neill on the mm-hmm. surface. Um, Jack O'Neill's great, 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 great grandson, maybe. I don't know. Um, uh. But <laughs> well, one L. And um, the they, they get you know, O'Neill runs off and eventually gets blissed out, absorbed is the the phrase we get. And uh, Sulu gets absorbed just before he gets beamed up. But then Wait, we have which the, they do the, by one of the lawgivers just pointing a staff at him and he kind of like yanks his head back and it's like he's got zapped under the chin or something and now he's all blissed out. Yep. Yeah. George Takei was very effective at, you know, acting under controlled <laughs> possessed by other things because we get him like that the the swashbuckler later stoned <laughs> would be a good term <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good 60s term but uh yeah so when they first get down there there's this i wrote down mindless vacant contentment is the uh mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the the phrase and i think i might have read that online and um i was thinking if everybody on the planet is like this how does anything get done you know mm-hmm. just people wandering around it's kind that of was- interesting and that was an actual line from the the from the episode where Kirk okay. comments that they're they they've got this mindless vacant contentment. 
Okay. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I, I assume you can mindless, vacantly, contentedly do your job. Mm-hmm. So presumably they have. I mean, we see all these shops. Yeah. Now they're closed during the festival, but presumably during the day, there's people in there you can go in and buy your yeah. bake, buy your bread from the mindlessly blissful ba- baker. <laughs> you yeah. can you can go down and get money out of the bank from the mindlessly vacantly blissful teller. You can. Go to the butcher and buy meat from a from him. You can, you know, these people yep. are running a society. They're just doing it in a really low key, happy way. I yeah. just wonder if a society, uh, just as a speculative, uh, can a society actually work without people who tend to be more Type A and driven? And well, that's, well, that's Kirk's got- argument at the end. Yeah, that that. But um, but Landrew says I reserve creativity to me. Mm-hmm. So Landrew's the one deciding, okay, you're going to be a baker and here's how you do your job. And you're going right. to be a butcher and here's how you do your job. And you're going to be a candlestick maker and here's how you do your job. And so then they all just do it. Yeah, exactly. You got Landrew mind controlling them all. So there's nothing to keep him from doing that, you know, right. uh, you, under, you know, figure out who has the best skills to do what and letting them do it. So uh, then we get the red hour, which is this crazy bacchanalia or the purge if people want it it's also 6 p.m right right. yeah (laughs) we would call that happy hour uh yeah 6 p.m to 6 a.m is is their festival so it's all night because literally right at 6 a.m they go back to normal like a a switch um and let's be clear what's going on here like they this is 60s you know kind of downplaying but this is rape and pillage Yep. This is- yeah, there's there's lots of violence. They are you, running around with torches, although we don't really see anything torched because they can't burn down the sets. <laughs> right. um, they they also show, and and this is an inconsistency in the plot or in the presentation. They show everybody in festival is having a great time. They mm-hmm. are all grinning like crazy, and they're smooching and they're hugging and they're they're you know it's this is tv code for they're having sex Mm -hmm. um and and then 6 a.m they're all still fully clothed and they go back to normal (laughs) yeah and i can excuse that on um on uh on you know tv censorship grounds you know they're Mm -hmm. not going to get explicit about this at the time but there's this one guy that we meet early on. He's the first guy to actually talk to Kirk's landing party. His name is Bilar. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he's got this really weird mode of speech that's unlike anybody else in the episode. Yeah. And I saw a comment once from the actor. I was reading a you know history of Star Trek, and the actor commented that he felt like an idiot because he had been led to believe this is like a New England society. <laughs> and so he adopts this sort of New England accent is like, come for the festival, eh? Yeah? And and he's the only person that talks like that in the whole episode. Right. <laughs> and so he did it because he thought he was being authentic to the part, but nobody else interpreted it that way. And so he felt like an <laughs> idiot afterwards when he saw the episode. Um but anyway, uh, when when Red Hour hits, now he, he 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 what he's doing in the plot is he's hooking them up with a place to stay, mm-hmm. and he tells them there's this guy named Redger who has a rooming house down the street, and they run into Redger's daughter Tula, and they're talking about you can go there to sleep off the festival, 
And then the red hour hits and he he says, come Tula and takes her by the hand and they run off. Mm -hmm. And Tula is a willing participant in this. You know, she's not looking distressed. She's Mm -hmm. not looking afraid. She's looking enthusiastic. And then the next morning, she's back at her dad's house and she's crying and being comforted like she's just been raped. Mm-hmm. And and we're meant to, and we're meant to understand. In fact, one of the officers, a guy named uh, Lindstrom, Lindstrom, yeah, uh, is irate and is talking to Redger about it was Bilar who did that. But that's inconsistent because everybody we see during festival itself is having a great time, and and we we get no indication of this is traumatic for people. This is like a a release for people. And then, and then they 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 show this. They show Tula as a victim mm-hmm. when she was an enthusiastic participant in the beginning. And and it's like, uh, if, if you, well, how does this fit together? If you're I, a mind, if you're a mind controlling computer, you want to let people go crazy, and you want to let people go crazy and have a good time. Why would you have this? Um, see, I, it. I could see it making a dramatic right. choice either way. But they kind of make both dramatic choices and shove them together in a way that's inconsistent. See, and I, I didn't see any inconsistency there because I didn't mm-hmm. see that being them willing participants. I saw that this is still part of the mind control because you see the people that were in the house that did not participate in it. They did not rush out to do it. They stayed in, you know, they made mm-hmm. the choice to stay in the house to stay away from it. And so what by showing Tula coming in, in you know, in despair. You know, her dress was ripped and things like that. This wasn't willing. They might have looked like they were, but they they weren't. You know, so because they were mind controlled into being Bacchanalian crazy. Yeah, exactly. This was this yeah. was not a release of the mind control, and that's what they were trying to show. And maybe they didn't show it in a way that did it well, but that's what I got out of it. Hmm. That no, it wasn't. It wasn't that this was a release of mind control. It was allowing them to release their emotions, but doing it in a way that was still controlled by. Oh Landry. no, that's that's what I got out of it too. You know, so that that he's mind controlling them into going crazy to release right. these emotions, and then he mind controls them in a different way. He's just shifting the mode of the mind control, right. so they go back right. to normal, happy, passive mode in the morning. But if they all go back to normal, happy, passive mode in the morning, why doesn't Tula? Because well, and you know, again, like her yeah. dad is one of those that that is resistant to the mind controlling, and so maybe that's. That coming out because they talk about that Rager can't be mind controlled. It's possible, but then I would appreciate it if they had told us that because that Tula is also immune and has been faking it all this time. Right, that would right. make sense. They are, they, yeah, they're trying to convey as I think as you said, Jimmy, they're trying to convey the awfulness of the festival, but not spending a lot of time explaining right and that's why this is the why. Why were they showing her this way? And they should and that, have, I think. Yeah. And that can be set down to, you know, directorial bad, bad 60s yeah. writing, you know, whatever, however you want to put it. But I, I, I think they I think they showed it. It maybe it just wasn't as effective as it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of things not as effective as they could have been, uh, the props of the rocks and bricks bouncing around <laughs> like foam ball, nerf balls. I, th- I just was, I had to laugh I, at that. I think um, they still use those those rocks in TNG when the <laughs> consoles explode. But anyways. Yes. Stop putting the rocks in the consoles, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, 
And, and also another small detail, Spock apparently sleeps with his eyes open. Uh, yes. We, yeah. Seen. How about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not creepy at all. <laughs> I like that they put that in. They don't say anything about it. But it as they're as as it's come morning, Kirk's walking around. He's apparently been awake all night. And he walks up we walks past Spock's bunk and Spock's got his eyes open just laying there. And then he like wakes him up and Spock startles awake. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that choice by Nimoy too. Apparently, Nimoy uh, came up with that too to to have Spock be a uh, Vulcans w- with their eyes open. That's very mm-hmm. creepily a- alien. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So the uh, they get conf- they confront the the lawgivers. Show up. This guy um, tattletales. We, we, we should say what the lawgivers are. Yeah, they're these st- individuals that come in twos and they wear robes, including cowls over their heads Mm -hmm. and they carry these staves which are hollow tubes and they speak in a very robotic manner Mm. so unlike everybody else who talks in this slow tranquil happy manner the lawgivers are are much more robotic in their speech so Mm. it looks like they're under a different kind of control than the ordinary people and all these people by the way are said to be members of the body right and and so there are different classes of people within the body there's most people who get the more blissed out experience and the lawgivers who are kind of like in police enforcement agents or something mm-hmm. and they hunt down rebels um and they communicate directives from the leader the head of the body landru to ordinary people in some circumstances, but they're basically kind of like kind of like police, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and they seem to be more robotic than everybody else. There seems to be a third category too, which is older people like sure Rieger, Haycom, and Tamar, mm-hmm. who they don't act all blissed out. I mean, Tamar is kind right. of a jerk, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's kind of uptight. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, I think you mean Hakem. Hakem, right? Hakem is a zealot. Yes, he, he's right. just he's he's vicious in how he acts, and it does seem that older people are are in a separate category too. They comment that at the beginning of festival, Rager and his two companions, uh, Hakem and Tamar, comment on these men are young they're they're too they're they're not old enough to be excused from the festival so apparently when you get older the control mechanism shifts and you're not compelled to go into the festival and then the next morning when Reger learns that kirk and his gang didn't go to the festival and he says then you're not of the body you couldn't be because apparently if you're a younger person you're compelled to go do this mm-hmm. but um you know emotional regulation changes as you get older Mm-hmm. And passions can cool, and so that would be why the older people don't need to go release their emotions in the festival this way. Right, right, and they they, they don't act all blissed out the rest of the time either. They, Maybe don't. they don't need that. I, I think much. that's a flaw in the writing, though. Yeah. Well, and again, they mentioned with Rager that for whatever reason, you know, genetics or whatever, that he can't he can't right. be blissed out. He can't be mind controlled. But Hakem, and that's why he's part of the resistance. He, he does fake it, though. Like, yeah, when he does walking fake down yep. the street, he's pretending to be all happy. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, when... I, I, I think, I think uh, and Tamar kind of acts happy. The one who doesn't is Hakem. Right. Yeah. And the reason he doesn't is because he's immediately suspicious. 
And one of the things that we do see is that if a member of the body begins to suspect that you're not of the body, they have very negative reactions. There's a, there's a, they get really suspicious and they can start yelling and become violent. And we even, McCoy later after he gets absorbed and he starts to suspect Kirk is not of the body, McCoy has this awesome freak out. Yeah. Where he's like, (laughs) he's yelling and calling Kirk a traitor and yelling for the guards. And he starts strangling Kirk. And Kirk is like, I don't want to hurt you, Doc. (laughs) Because he could. You know, when they speak of the body, I mean, it's almost like an immune response. And the lawgivers are, you know, the the white blood cells of the hunter killer cells. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a little bit like that. The body turns on you when you're an alien to it. Well, we see, too, that they're directly controlled controlled by Landrew, where, you know, like when Kirk challenges them and they kind of go, they don't know how to respond, where they kind of face each other, right. like, they're, like it's a computer trying to figure out what to do next, what the next step is. Right. They notice that, like, it's a you know, compulsory, involuntary stimulus to action, is I think yeah. how Spock puts it. Yeah. Thank you, Captain Redundant. Compulsory and involuntary mean the same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's a computer confronted with um, unexpected input. And so mm-hmm. what does it do? It needs to, And that's you know. that's where Kirk and Spock realize that Landrew isn't a person, but a, a thing, a computer. Yeah, they start to suspect it, at least in the beginning uh, here. Now, let's talk about uh, Lindstrom, the sociologist, the, the, the officer, uh, who's really bad at being a Starfleet officer because he spends his entire time obsessing over this young woman and having outbursts that keep getting him into trouble. Yeah. There was <laughs> like, originally- send him back to the ship. There was in the penultimate script. There was a subplot of him falling in love mm-hmm. with uh, with a Baden woman, presumably Tula, but they dropped that. But yeah. that his his continual obsession about about what happened to Tula is maybe a remnant of that subplot. Right. Right. But it he does-, does just he's totally insubordinate. As like, dude, you're on a planet in a dangerous environment. You should be letting the captain take mm-hmm. the lead and not intruding yourself in yep. this outbursty manner to the locals right like like the very stalwart mr leslie who is the red shirt that survives by the way let's just yeah. like give yeah. him the credit <laughs> mr leslie survives throughout tos as a red shirt on away missions and it's because he keeps his head down does his job well, and doesn't wander off <laughs> well in, in lindstrom survived he just got left behind yeah he did get he left just, behind at the end he, he gets stuck on the planet Maybe Maybe that was still, but he's lucky because he's a serious security liability in this situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Although, uh, luckily, the body apparently doesn't run. (laughs) So when the the away team is trying to get away uh, from the 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 mob uh, that's coming for them, they the mob just kind of shuffles along like zombies. They use slow resent, slow um, and steady wins the race tortoise tactics of we're just going to swarm you and you won't be able to ultimately get away. Yes. Yep. So the. uh, Oh, and that also incidentally, it's another mode of telepathic control. When the the lawgivers show up at Redger's house and they say, you guys are not of the body, so you need to be absorbed. So come down to the absorption chambers with us. And and Kirk says no, and they don't know what to do. And so they then turn and face each other. And we hear this whistling, vibrating science fiction noise. And we're told they're communing with Landrew. So they're getting new instructions from Landrew. And then when um, when they say it is clear, you simply did not understand. 
You will accompany us to the absorption chambers. And Kirk again says no and yanks away the guy's rod. <laughs> and Give back my stick. Hands, <laughs> yeah. it, hands it to Spock and says, it's just a hollow tube, Captain. It's amazing. Now, there's also a plot hole here. If they could absorb Sulu just by zapping him with the rod, why don't they do that here? Why do you got to yeah. go down to the absorption yeah. chambers? Right. Um, so that doesn't really make sense. And I don't see an easy fix for that. No. But then they quickly leave the house, and then we hear the science fiction noise again, and everybody in the street freezes. And Rager says, it's Landru, he's summoning the body. So Lan- so there's this additional mode where you're like plugged into Landru Central that the lawgivers have when they need new instructions. And Landru can also initiate this mode of contact in over an area. Mm-hmm. And take more direct control of the people in the area and direct them to particular goals. So it seems like normally members of the body are in their blissed out state, they're going about their business, they're following their normal instructions without immediate control of every little behavior. Right. You know, they're just following their programming. I'm going to be a baker today, so that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but when Lander needs to, he can assume more direct control of everybody right. and coordinate them to go after some goal using a, using a massive tactical, you know, mm-hmm. bunch of people solution to a problem. Right. Yeah. Right. And at this point, I kind of want to like talk about the timeline here because, you know, it's Land, the whole Landry thing began 6,000 years previously. We get, we kind of get this uh, at the uh, end. Apparently, although I like the fact Rager says nobody knows for sure. Some mm-hmm. say as long as 6,000 years ago. Right. And so this has been the way things have been for this time. And clearly, this was a more advanced civilization uh, the Batons had. Uh, right. And Landry has kind of made them into a more simple civilization. Yep. And this was all done to in response to violence and war. and. You know, it's interesting. The, the Vulcans responded to a, a warlike society by imposing logic, and this and, was and repressing emotion. And repressing emotion. Right. Uh, this one is similar in that it's repressing emotion by All doing but one. it through. What's yeah. that? <laughs> All but one. All but yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Except except joy. Uh, so and and then that's when the the Starship Archon. Which showed up probably in the Enterprise era, right? Yeah, that would, mm-hmm. it, it would. According to the Star Trek timeline, it showed up in twenty one sixty seven, which is just six years after the founding of the Federation. And when Star Trek Enterprise was on the air, I was really hoping they were going to let us see the Archon and go, yeah. "Hey, here's that doomed ship. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> nice to see it." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we might have in the fifth season might have got that, um, but uh, and so and then. We also at this point get a ticking clock. Um, our, uh, Landrew has got the Enterprise in a tractor beam and heat he- rays, heat, heat beams. Yeah, yeah, yep. and so they can't turn off the shields, or the ship would be like it's powerful Burned enough that up. it would incinerate the ship. Yep. But they have to put all power, including engine power, into the shields, and thus they're falling out of orbit. So we have a twelve-hour click ticking clock. And uh, so as they're running away, they they they, they find uh, Lieutenant O'Neill, who's in of the body now, and um, he's Kirk unconscious not, though. Yeah, yep. and Kirk won't leave him behind. Reger is like, he's of the body now. If you take him, Landrew's got you know going to be able to see us wherever we go. He'll be able to find us, which is a valid concern if he wakes up. Yes, yes, yep. 
And so Kirk eventually, after much prodding, I have to say, eventually tells McCoy, you know, keep him under, put, give him a sedative and keep him out. And then Kirk immediately, because they've gotten to a hiding place by this point that's used by the Landrew Underground yep. and the anti-Landrew Underground, which is, we learned, is arranged in threes. And Tamar, the guy who got zapped dead earlier on by one of the lawgivers, was Redger's contact. So he doesn't know who the third member of their triad right. is, which is weird. But anyway, yep. they've got to this hiding place, and Redger finally manages to convince Kirk to keep uh, O'Neill unconscious. So he has McCoy give him a shot to keep him out. And then Kirk immediately blows it by making a phone call to the Enterprise. Yep. <laughs> and that triggers scanning beams that immediately locate them. And Landrew shows up in hologram yep. and tells him their lives are going to be really great from now on. And he sonics <laughs> them into unconsciousness. So right. Kirk himself made the decision. It wasn't O'Neill that got them found. It was Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, Landrew says, you've come to a world without hate, without fear, without conflict, no war, no disease, no crime, none of the ancient evil. Landrew seeks tranquility, peace for all, the universal good. And I'm thinking going, yeah, except during the festival. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's no peace yeah. and tranquility then. Well, right? from, Land from Landry's point of view, it's the festival is a necessary evil for young people to let them get out, get it out of their system in a controlled way. So the rest of their time, they can have all this greatness going on. Mm. Yeah, like the uh, sowing your wild oats. So what, what's the the, uh, the Amish thing? The uh, where the the kids go off for a year. It, it, it kind of sounds yeah. like like that, like sowing your wild oats. So um, I, I note, as usual, Kirk is the last to succumb to the knockout. Mm -hmm. And the first to wake because, you know, Kirk, which is great. He's the hero. Let's, let's, let's let him do that. <laughs> they should um, let Captain Pike do that more. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And uh, th this is uh, so that we find ourselves. This was a little confusing because they were hiding in a little dungeon area and wake up in a little dungeon area. But it's a different dungeon. Like it's yeah. the same set, but it's been redressed and shot yeah. from a different angle. I think it was a bit of a directorial mistake. They should have had an, more more of a difference. Like I knew it was a different dungeon, but it's I could see where that could be confusing to people. Um, so uh, they they're in this new dungeon. McCoy and one of the other uh, the security guys had been taken off. I'm not sure if it was Leslie or not, but uh, they come back. It wasn't. It was the other one. Yeah, the mm -hmm. uh, the other red shirt, and uh, they're blissed out. They're uh, they're absorbed, and. Um, Kirk gets dragged off. You know, we have some other things happening, but Kirk gets dragged off and encounters the third man of Rage of Cell, Marplan. 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 But we don't know that's who he is initially. We see a changeover in the absorption chamber. One of the lawgivers is getting off shift, and this new guy in an orange robe, because normally the robes are brown, mm -hmm. this new guy in an orange robe is, is getting put on shift. And he like says to the other guy, happy communing to you. And he goes and the other lawgiver goes off. And this is just as Kirk's being brought in. He's strapped into a machine mm -hmm. by these little mechanical arm restraints that automatically clamp on him. And and then the next time we see him, they're bringing Spock in, they're bringing Kirk out. And Kirk has apparently been absorbed because he's like to Spock. He's like, joy, peace and tranquility to you, friend. And so it looks like Kirk has been absorbed, but then at once the they get Spock in the device, the, the new lawgiver in the orange robe says, hi, my name is Marplan. I'm the third member of the Secret Underground. Your friend is unharmed. Act like him now. <laughs> yeah. 
and watching Spock act, try to act blissed out is funny. Again, Nimoy <laughs> yeah. does a good job yeah. of very low key bliss here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joy be with you. Peace and contentment. Uh, yeah. yeah, he does the best he can, I suppose. Kind of keeps his head down so they can't look at him in the eye or anything like that. Yeah. Yes. So they, so there's an interesting conversation back in the cell, and they're trying to have this conversation where McCoy can't overhear them because he's, you know, the spy among <laughs> yeah. us. Um, and they're not, they're not, they're really too close. It's like McCoy's going to overhear this guy. <laughs> yep. You can see him in the background being suspicious. Like, what, what are you talking about over there? That looks doesn't look of the body. Yeah. Uh, but Spock comes up with a good point. You know, he's, he says this is a soulless society. Captain has no spirit, no spark. All is indeed peace and tranquility the peace of the factory the tranquility of the machine all parts working in unison a society run by com- by a computer essentially run mm-hmm. for efficiency but he doesn't say that and kirk no. instead says then you're thinking the same thing i am the plug must be pulled and he, they mm-hmm. don't actually say lander is a computer at this point right and spock says what and kirk says lander must die Right. And then we get the first reference ever. By the way, this is also the first episode where Scotty is in charge of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but then we get the first reference ever to the Prime Directive. And Spock says, but the Prime Directive prevents us from interfering in other societies, Captain. And Kirk says, that only applies to societies that are living and growing. This one is stagnant because of what right. Lander is doing. Right. That's so an actual- Kirk's first Prime Directive violation. Yep. Well, and in fact, that's an interesting distinction that he makes here that kind of gets forgotten later on, which is yeah. the prime directive only rep- applies to societies that are living and growing, which means a judgment call on the on the part mm-hmm. of the of the captain in the, who's involved. Except I think this is Kirk's rationalization. Um, I don't think that in the prime directive as it's written, and we actually have a kind of semi-canonical text of it, but it, it won't say... Don't interfere if the society is living and growing. Right. It's yeah. going to say something like, "Don't interfere in the natural development of a society." And right. and and Kirk is rationalizing what he's doing by saying, "Oh, this one isn't naturally developing, so I get to do this." And I, yeah, I, I think an argument can be made too is that this was a society that was far more technologically advanced than it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. you could say that at one point they may have had warp, they may have had these techn because they had the light panel that you would find on a starship and things like right. that. I actually got some of those. I meant to put them on Facebook, but a while back I got some light panels that, you know, could for like light therapy purposes, I thought I'd try Mm -hmm. them and see if they worked. And it's basically a glowing panel. And I thought, hey, it's like Return of the Archons. I meant to take photos and put them on Facebook, but I don't know if I still have them anymore. It's a lot easier to do that nowadays with just LEDs at the bottom of the panel to light it. (laughs) (laughs) I got one lighting me up right now on the video. Uh, So the... So, yeah, we have this this exchange about the Prime Directive, and then um, Kirk is trying to get Rager and Marplon to to Help. lead the rebellion, to rise up. And they're like, uh, this is, I think I've changed my mind. It's a bad idea. And he, uh, yeah, he's... this is psychologically, this is fascinating mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've been, they spent their whole lives in fear of Landru, and now, and they've been hoping these Archons are going to show up and overthrow him. And now, wait, you want me to do this? You don't want to just take it yourselves and do it? (laughs) And they start having serious reconsideration issues. And, you know, Marplon is like about to weep and he's saying we've destroyed ourselves because of everything we've said. Rager 
has a has a crisis of conscience and goes the other way and he says no no i was wrong i submit i bear <laughs> myself to the will of landrew yep and it's like wow um that's psychologically very complex <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and it's i think this is really good writing yeah yeah because having having their regrets and having Having Reger flip and mm-hmm. he's he's immune to control, but he's ideologically he's just changed sides and become a Landerwhite. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, wow. Kirk tells him, "Snap out of it, start acting like men," <laughs> which yeah. is a well, it's, you know, yeah, and it, it shows it's easy to be be kind of a rebel when you're just kind of under under the surface and there's no real consequences to it, and you can kind of hide and you know it's more just you know rebellion of, of gossip mm-hmm. than it is a rebellion actual. Act you know, active rebellion. But yeah. now once, once you get to that point where all of a sudden, Oh, if we do this, things are going to change and we may, we won't have the ability to control how it goes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. very different. Yeah. For them, even if they were in some danger prior to this situation, because they could always be caught. Mm-hmm. Um, and except for Reg absorbed this new situation that is being proposed is far more dangerous and so by comparison, living in Landrew society is looks to them like this is the safer option. Yeah. I think I feel like that's been, uh, you know, uh, historically has cu- happened before to people living under oppression. And when the time came to rise up, there were some were some who was like, no, no, this is fine. Like, I'm OK mm-hmm. living in the underground. <laughs> I don't want to now put my life on the line to change things. That's mm-hmm. that's a whole nother level of commitment that I'm not prepared for. Uh no, there, no, I don't. I don't also, like those. I don't like those taxes that the Brits are making us pay. But you know, I really don't want to overthrow the king either. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Right. There are also incidents where, like, with other species besides our own, like horses. You know, horses spend a lot of their time in their in their stall in the barn, and they associate it with that's where I'm safe. Mm. And there are accounts of the barn catching on fire and the horses trying to run back to their stalls mm. where they feel safe, even mm. though the barn and the, the barn is obviously on fire and the horse perceives the danger. But I want to get back to that place of safety. Mm. Right, right. So, uh, Kirk goes to confront Landrew, uh, where he will eventually confront the computer that is Landrew. And we have some very interesting dialogue here. As it, uh, he, um, Kirk says, you know, the machine was programmed with Landrew's knowledge, but not his wisdom, not his soul. And, you know, there's That's a, an important I, line that will come back later. Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh, computers can can have knowledge, but they can't have wisdom, which is a important element that we need to recognize. Not in, unless they're a Sun class android. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But uh, you know, in our day and age, we're with you know the rise of machine learning, AI sort of things. We have to remember this. Um, and the 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 whole question of the good of the body becomes the key to Kirk's yeah. uh, argument. Because what Landrieu says when they start talking to him is it's really sad, and Landrieu is coming across the hologram of him is coming across as really sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you've got this, you 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 brought infection to the body and it's really sad and it's a tragedy, but I'm going to have to kill you and everybody who even knew about you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because, I hate to do that, but because, you got to do it. Because the memory of the body must be purified. The goal of the body, the good of the body is the absolute, that's our prime directive. He even uses prime directive. And Spock 
says to Kirk, that's the key captain, the good of the body. And so yep. Kirk starts on this into this dialogue where he's going to talk the computer to death by arguing that actually, rather than helping the uh, good of the body, Landru is harming the good of the body. And mm-hmm. so it needs to terminate itself to allow the body to flourish. Now, in principle, that's a perfectly reasonable argument, but Kirk proceeds to execute it in one of the dumbest ways ever, <laughs> because what he tells the um, he, he asks Landrew to define the good of the body and 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 Landrew does. And this is a good move rhetorically, because Kirk needs to know how Landrew is conceptualizing the good mm-hmm. of the body if he's going to turn that against him. And Landrew says, well, um, it's the harmonious continuation of the body. And, you know, you know, the body continues to live. It's peaceful. It's harmonious. It's all this stuff. And 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 if that's how Landrew conceives of the good of the body, Landrew is doing just fine Mm because the body is all those things right now. Um, but Kirk needs to argue that Landry is actually harming the body. And what he says is the body is dying. You are destroying it. And that's actually not true. The body's mm-hmm. doing just fine. Yeah. But Kirk needs to argue that in hyperdramatic TV terms that the body is dying. And to make his point, he raises his voice because. Of course, when you raise your voice, that means what you're saying is true. <laughs> and and Landrew is like, no, the body is doing just fine. And Kirk says, so what are you doing to justify or uh, to fulfill the in, the individual potential of all of the members of the body? You know, you're not letting them be creative and stuff. You're just running everything. You you got your blissed out mind control baker, but he's not going to invent any new cupcakes that way. Mm. And and he's just going to make the same old cupcakes, which people are perfectly blissed out and happy to have. So Landry thinks about it and he says, you know, the body exists, it's thriving, but I reserve creativity to me. And Kirk is like, without creativity, there is no life. The body dies. As if that proves anything, you know, the... And it makes no sense. But Landrew, because the plot requires it, starts to buy in to this idea that he is actually causing the body to die, even though that's clearly false. And he starts, he kind of gets trapped in a loop where he starts calling for the dead biological Landrew to help him. He's going, Landrew, help me, help me, help me. And at this point, a couple of of, uh, lawgivers come in and they're like, what are we supposed to do? And Spock comments that they're without guidance, possibly for the first time in their lives, which mm-hmm. is, wow, that's a powerful thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and ultimately, Landrew self-destructs. So I want to go back to Kirk's, what, what Kirk says is he says, um, without freedom of choice, there's no creativity. Without creativity, there's no life. And freedom of choice has is loaded these days and you would maybe Mm -hmm. replace that with free will without free will there is no creativity i'm not sure creativity like you said i'm not sure creativity is the is the best argument but without free will there is no love there's no true love and without true love there is no life and i think that would have been the better argument um that you can't 
you know, I, I think you need to, I think it needs to get off the life subject. Mm. The body is clearly alive. It's not under any threat. Um, it's not, it's not literally dying. It you could argue, you can argue Landry is harming the body, but it, by suppressing everybody's free will and creativity. Right. But, um, but that's a much more sophisticated argument than they want to get into in this episode. Right. So the body dies. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, well, and it, yeah. it's, it's, they're happy and blissed out and equivalent to, you know, a late 1800s old West scenario, but they're technologically, technologically they've reverted so far because of it and they won't go forward, but they're still blissed out in it. So yeah. they're happy there. I know people that would love to live back in the 1800s old West. And I, if I put on, yeah, if I put on my captain Picard hat, it's like, okay, uh, they used to be an advanced society and they chose to go back to this. Mm-hmm. And who's to say it's wrong to choose to live at a lower level of technological development than what otherwise would be possible. But People you have, can legitimately choose to become hippies and, you know, yeah. go off the grid. But you have to argue that loss of free will is the right. problem. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That, that but it's, then, not, it's not about living, you know, living in peace or you know, living without violence with an asterisk or mm-hmm. living blissed out because that's not free will. That's not, that's not living in a sense in the uh, metaphorical sense. And then my other captain Picard hat as the prime directive absolutist that is willing to hinge an entire movie on saving <laughs> 300 people who were actually members of the same culture, but have chosen to live as hippies in a, in a technologically backward area. Um, I'm going to say, okay, but who are we to judge what what happened in their society 6,000 years ago? Maybe it was all voluntary. Mm-hmm. Maybe Landry said, hey, I've got this great new absorption thing. It's going to make our lives perfect. Come down and get absorbed. And in which case, the society might have freely chosen it. And even if they didn't freely choose it, even if he imposed it on them, who am I to disrupt this entire society that's functional yeah, well, just this is- for some abstract benefits that I would like it to have? This is the argument of whether the prime directive is moral at all, which ne- never mentioned that subject. <laughs> yeah, not, not if you want to go anywhere in your Starfleet career. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is an objective good. And yeah, I think the absolutist uh, uh, position is, is wrong. But that's that's a whole. Yeah, that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, so I, it, it now might be the time to talk about the bigger thing here which is what this story really is about yeah before you get into yours for 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 me uh, when i was watching it i was thinking this is a rejection of communist socialist given the 60s context communism and socialism individuality Mm -hmm. over ideologies that suppress everyone for the good of the whole you have a um, worker's paradise here. Right. Yep. And and that we'd be better off in the free West, you know, so rejecting either fascist or socialist, you know, oppressive regimes. Um, so that was my take on maybe the, the bigger moral. But, Jimmy, you might have had a different one. Yeah, this is something I've, I've been aware of for a long time. Um, this is so Gene Roddenberry has a tendency in his stories, the plots that scratched him where he itched the most were ones that involved religion. And the, and so we have all these stories where they go and they meet God represented under some guys and God is a computer or he's crazy or he's a computer and he's crazy. And he's ultimately not all that's cracked up to be. And we have this great humanistic atheological triumph 
when Kirk and the gang bring down God. And this happens over and over again. What does God um, need with a starship? What, that's a classic <laughs> example, although Roddenberry actually hated that one because he had wanted to do that plot and he wasn't allowed to. And then that upstart Bill Shatner gets to do it. Yep. <laughs> but but there are all these others. You know, there's the Apple. There's there's Apollo's this one. There's who for Adonis. Who moans for Adonis. There's V'ger. This just keeps happening over and over. Also, it happens in the second pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, where no man has gone before, where you have Elizabeth Daner and Gary Mitchell become gods, and they're not all that. And you even have some elements of this in the original pilot, The Cage, where Captain Pike is tortured by a vision of hell, which is referred to as a tale he w- once heard from Earth mythology. And so we've got this persistent anti-religious theme. So let's look at what we got here. The body. Okay, if you've read your New Testament, you know one of the prominent themes is the body of Christ, which includes all the members of the church who are absorbed by baptism. And the head of the body is Jesus Christ. So Landru is a Jesus Christ surrogate. He's even, his, his dress in the hologram is reflected on Christian artwork. Commonly, Jesus is depicted as wearing a blue under tunic and a yellow over, uh, not yellow, a red over tunic. Mm-hmm. The blue under tunic symbolizes his eternal nature, and the red over tunic symbolizes his human nature. So you've got the duality of those two natures. Now, depending on the color tinting that you're seeing on your screen, Landrews may actually look like a purple under tunic and an orange over tunic, but it's basically the same thing. This is inspired by Christian art. Then you have the lawgivers who are running around in choir robes and monks robes. Marplons <laughs> looks like it was literally bought off the shelf at a religious supply store. So you have this very clear religious iconography for these guys. They're meant to be monks and priests who, of course, communicate the will of Jesus Christ to the members of Jesus's body. And they also carry the staffs, which are a little bit reminiscent of, um, of some you know, long-form uh, crucifixes that you would perhaps see a bishop carrying. Then we've got the ordinary members of the body, who superficially act blissful and super happy, just like Christians are supposed to act in a certain stereotype of Christianity, particularly in Puritanism. Um, but wow, well, they turn vicious on you if you ain't one of them. And they're also secret hypocrites because even though they pretend to be all moral and pure all the time, secretly they purge it out and they have equivalents of the festival, not in an organized way, but in a disorganized way. And so the festival reveals what hypocrites Christians really are because we all have primal needs, Gene Roddenberry in particular, that are not going to be fulfilled in a puritanical society. And so it's just on element after element with this. And you can, I haven't even covered all of them, but this is a religious allegory. And that's why I wanted to say at the beginning for my review, uh, for my take on it, that if we consider it just as an episode without any context, not including other Star Trek episodes that are similar, and not including broader societal context, I think it's a fun episode. But once you see the religious allegory nature of this, it's just Gene Roddenberry ranting on religion again. And that could spoil it for you. I mean, I'm irked by it. 
but it doesn't completely spoil it for me because I'm not threatened by Gene Roddenberry's religious rantings. Mm. <laughs> so I can partition those and go, eh, he's just being a jerk. And I know this scratches him, but I, you know, where he itches, but I don't really care about his religious allegory thing. I can appreciate the story apart from that. See, I, I saw it more puritanical than, mm-hmm. you know, specifically all Christianity or in, in the Catholic Church is more. I, I joked before that, you know, oh. those, those Franciscans running around in their robes, you know, but um, <laughs> it, you know, it actually should be Dominicans because they're functioning as the Inquisition. Exactly. <laughs> right, That's what. Right. Yeah. So it should have been white robes instead of brown robes, but they look more like Franciscan robes. But it, it definitely, you know, in with the kind of the idea of actually being more, you know, New England style with the, the one character who had took on the kind of this quasi New England accent, um, it seemed more. Puritanical and the and the garb mm-hmm. too was a little bit more like that. Although again, like the the men's outfits were more old west style, something you'd see Wyatt Earp wearing or somebody like that, or Philadelphia nineteenth century style. Yep. It, it can fit with that too. I mean, they weren't wearing cowboy hats and chaps. No. Um, right. The um, there's also a line that Landrew has in his final speech to them, where he's saying, "Despite my efforts to save you." So, okay, that's what Landrew's ideology is. He wants to save people. That's mm-hmm. a little Jesus-y, don't you think? Also, the the communication with Landrew is described as communing, mm. which is another important term in Christianity. I think you're right, Father. I think this is a mix of uh, about puritanicalism. Um, Gene Roddenberry, growing up in you know the mid-20th century, America is a Protestant country. At mm-hmm. least dominantly, and and there were a lot of people in America who had a puritanical background. Pur- Puritanism being a form of Protestantism uh, that originated in England, and it, the idea was that the church needs to be purified of Romish Catholic elements, mm-hmm. and so that's how it got the name Puritanism because they wanted the church to be purified, and so they were anti-Catholic, but they had this very outwardly clean, wholesome image, but also a reputation as being horrible prudes and hypocrites, by their critics at least. Um, That was this kind of the stereotype of a Puritan. And so Puritans were like, for people who didn't like Christianity, that was Puritanism was one narrative that they would have available to them as something I don't like about Christianity. The other was, oh, those Catholics and their awful inquisition. So let's, in this episode, let's smash them together and have and have Catholic evil inquisitors running over this Protestant hypocritical <laughs> Puritan society. Well, and, and, and to be fair, Puritans had their own version of the Inquisition as well. Oh so, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they could <laughs> not be as even iconic, more ruthless. Not as yeah. iconic though as the Catholic one. But but nobody <laughs> expects a Spanish Inquisition. So <laughs> nobody, you beat me to it. <laughs> so uh, I knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah, it had to come up. So. Uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the last scene on the bridge, Kirk and Spock, the patented, you know, Kirk, oh, Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Um, the there Spock, are several things about that that are of yeah. note. Yeah, Kirk mentions, you know, that uh, you know Spock marvels at the the feat of engineering, and frankly, a six thousand year old computer that kept running is quite a feat of engineering, um, yeah. directing the lives of millions of human beings, and. Kirk says, um, but only machine um, that uh, that 
couldn't that had only his you know couldn't have his uh, Landrew's wisdom, his compassion, understanding, his soul. And Spock says predictably metaphysical. <laughs> Which, I wanted to comment on that line because they hit this twice in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Landrew could give the machine his knowledge, but not his wisdom in the first case. And then in the second case, Landrew can give the computer his, could give the computer his knowledge, but not his wisdom, his compassion, his understanding, his soul. And so even though they haven't established in this episode that Landrew was a good guy, mm-hmm. we're led to believe by Kirk's dialogue that Landrew was a really good guy and he was genuinely wise and compassionate and understanding. But this thing that grew out of his work is bad yep. because he couldn't imbue it with his true all good qualities. And I think that's part of the religious allegory, too. Because you'd have a lot of people in the mid-20th century who would say, oh, Jesus was a good man, he was a good and wise teacher, and so forth, but Christianity bad. Mm-hmm. Right, and, still hear that, yeah. And so I think that's part of it as well. It also may be providing a little bit of heat shield for anybody who recognizes the allegory by throwing right. in a couple of respectful statements that would apply to the historical Jesus and allow a separation between the historical Jesus as a good guy and the later Christianity is a bad thing. Well, you still see that mindset with people who say, well, I don't need religion to have a relationship with Jesus, or I don't need religion to be spiritual or something like that, where, you know, there's right. Christian, Christian religion is bad, but what Jesus taught is good. We like what he did and we like what he taught. Mm-hmm. We can know him, but this, this Christian religion, which spoiler Jesus created, he left <laughs> right. for us. Right. We don't need that. They also get a report in that scene. Oh, and Kirk compliments Mr. Spock and tells him, uh, be a good computer. You, you, you'd be a good computer. And Spock is, why, thank you, Captain. That's very kind of you. We also get a um, report from the surface where Lindstrom has been left behind. And he's like, he's saying, it's certainly more interesting than it was before. Today, we've had several domestic quarrels and two knockdown drag outs. I was like. Okay, you're um, you're celebrating spousal abuse there, Mister Lindstrom. Yeah. <laughs> well, domestic quarrels, you know. That well, might be... no, I know, but two knockdown dragouts that suggest spouses are actually coming to uh, physical blows. Oh, I didn't take it as spouses. I just took it as no. people fighting on the people oh. just be, you know neighbors or whatever. Well, yeah, in the context rage. of you know, I, in the context <laughs> of domestic quarrels, I took it as oh, okay. the the trope of husbands and wives fighting physically, which was a subject that was open for humor. In the past, you know, the image of the wife with the frying pan who's just brained her husband with it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, we can't talk about the return of the Archons without also mentioning the another place where uh, Beta 3 shows up, which is the Lower Decks uh, season first season finale episode, No Small Parts. Which starts yes. with them back at Beta Three, uh, the Cerritos b- being there, and uh, Captain Freeman having to tell them, what, "You went back to worshiping Landrew. What's wrong with you people?" <laughs> so uh, well, that was and and fun. that's a, even though they play it for comedy. If you had spent your whole life in a blissed out state, and now that's gone, yeah, you might want to return to that state. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people might want to return to that state. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's only just the, the beginning. And uh, also we have a mar- Mariner handing out art supplies to the kids to, you know, yeah. for their creativity, which was fun. Yeah. Yep. So 
I mean, what you're what you'd be dealing with is is psychological withdrawal symptoms uh-huh. on a societal scale. Well, oh, yeah. yeah, that's a note I had had on this one, which was that uh, you know suddenly all of these people would be having to make decisions for themselves about everything. Well, and we didn't uh, we talk about it, but there really is the analogy for drugs too. You know, you talk, mm-hmm. people who you know maybe they they get on drugs and they get heavily addicted to it, and some for whatever reason or another they get clean. You know, they get off the drugs. And that's always a temptation for them to go back. And a lot of people and, do fall back, drugs and, or alcohol or whatever. But And the drug aspect is part of this episode, but there's an even more on the nose episode of, about it coming up, mm. this side of paradise. Right, right. Uh, speaking, by the way, you mentioned, uh, you referred to the Star Trek insurrection. That is our next discussion, by the way, next week, uh, as as folks listen to this. uh. (laughs) (laughs) And and I I disagree with one thing, you know, Mm -hmm. that Picard was trying to save the 300 people. No, he was trying to save his girlfriend. Yeah. And the rest of the people just came with him. He had the hots for her. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Final thoughts on this episode, though, Father Corey. I wonder if this episode uh, played a part of the development of the Borg later when they were doing the writing, because Landry at one point says, you will be absorbed. Your individual individuality will merge into the unity of good and your in your submergence into the common being of the body. You will find contentment, fulfillment. You will experience the absolute good. And of course, the Borg say, we are the Borg. We will add your biological and technological res- distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Yeah. Very similar ideas, you know, although one being obviously a technological control as part of the Borg and the other being the mind control. But I wonder if that that isn't a coincidence. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it may have. Another thing that I think is in play is when they initially introduced the Borg, they portrayed um, assimilation as a horrific experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we see Captain Picard crying yep. as he's being assimilated. But the problem is that's just torture, and they they don't want the Borg to look like they're all just being they're experiencing constant torture mind right. control. And so, in more recent times, they've talked about getting blissed out as a Borg, even mm-hmm. though that makes no sense and is inconsistent with the torture mind control that they've established uh, and are trying to go for with the body horror. Right. Um, so I think that I think that the the blissed out mind control is something that's kind of been introduced to the Borg inconsistently, but is also reminiscent of Return of the Archons right. and this side of Paradise. Yep. Mm. So Jimmy, do you have any other final thoughts on this one? Um, nothing significant. The there's a particular moment in after Doctor McCoy has been absorbed. Where and Kirk and Spock have been brought back to this holding cell. And I like how McCoy, when he's brought back, is like, We were told to wait here, friends. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh but Kirk and Spock are starting their conversation and McCoy is in the background and he's kind of listening to him and he's getting a little suspicious. And and so Kirk spots starts spouting this peace and joy rhetoric back at him, and um and and Leonard um or um, DeForest Kelly DeForest DeForest Kelly um has this acting that it's just this particular moment is just comes across to me as hilariously cheesy, mm-hmm. um and uh, and you know so Kirk has just said like. Joy to you, friend. And McCoy gets this broad smile on his face and says, and peace and harmony. Are you of the body? 
And it he something about the way he says it, which I can't really reproduce. It just looks like, and he's got this expect, expectant look on his face, and I I can't can't help but imagining his next line being, "Do you want a cookie?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's very it's very. I didn't mention it in the episode, but it is in our discussion. But it's, it came across very cult like, but oh, yeah. of course, the popular conception of cults and that sort of thing is in in is still in the future from when this was made you know so the 70s and 80s really i mean there was communes in the drug culture and the hippie culture that it resembles but, a little bit but the, the cult like aspects charles manson hadn't happened yet and yeah. now i don't mm-hmm. use the term cult because i find it adds heat rather than light sure yeah. but there were you know minority religious movements like krishnaventa and Oh, there were there were there were quite a number of them, but they you didn't have the big famous ones, right? That right. you did later, right? Right. So it wouldn't have been uh, in the popular consciousness uh, for that. One, all right. Uh, one one more quick thing that um, oh sure. If Rieger looked familiar, if you watched a lot of movies from like the, or TV shows from the '60s into the '80s, you might recognize him. Uh, the actor is Harry Towns, and he's one of those actors that was very prolific as a character actor. He was always mm-hmm. the second cast, you know, the the guest star. Uh, on a lot of things, again, from like the early 60s up till the early 80s. So he was he was everywhere and he was in a lot of things. If you look him up on IMDb. So you've, you've probably seen him in one thing or another. I should probably add then uh, Tamar, which was the uh, underground guy that got killed uh, played by John bunch. Lormer. Yeah, he, he was in the cage uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as um, the, the imaginary oh, right. uh, Venus dad uh, in that one. So, OK. Um, Yep. So he, yep. yeah, the, he he shows up one more time in uh, original series too. So yeah, and that's, he's in a lot of other nineteen sixties TV series too. Yeah, that's the fun thing is you see in these folks, so sort of like Doctor Who, you see these faces all over the place that you recognize. Well, all right, then, then he, that's kind of like the Vancouver actors that you see in like nineties sci fi. They're like in everything. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, well, as we wrap up, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Bernadette O, Elizabeth L, Christopher S, Darren R, and Daniel S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So we'd love to know what you thought of the return of the Archons. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, where you can also leave a comment. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing, like I mentioned, the movie Star Trek Insurrection. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you. Joy to you, friend. Peace <laughs> and contentment. It is the gift of Landrew. And Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. I, I think we just need to pull the plug. Thanks, <laughs> you speak very strangely, friend. Are you not of the body? Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, freedom is never a gift. It has to be earned. <laughs> <laughs>